I'm here at Rose Hill Cemetery. Given the nature of my role in ministry, I probably end up in a cemetery for a burial or a service more often than the average person. It's not the favorite place to be, but surprisingly, there are some valuable lessons that can be gained and learned in a cemetery. There's a lot of history here at Rose Hill. For instance, there are five known Revolutionary War soldiers buried here, as well as a businessman, John B. Crafton, who lost his life on the maiden voyage of the Titanic in 1912. Up behind me, you can see on the top of the hill the memorial to the Civil War soldiers. Up behind that is the first public mausoleum in southern Indiana. On the other side of that mausoleum, I found an interesting tombstone one day out here, and it, it simply commemorates the burial of a young man that was killed in June of 1918 in the World War. When he was buried, there was no idea that there would be more than one in the cemetery here, there are some famous people. Hoagie Carmichael, the great musician and composer, is buried here in Rose Hill. There's also a Dr. David Maxwell, who in uh, 1816 was a delegate to the state constitutional convention and helped shape our Indiana state constitution. Then in 1818, he lobbied for the first Indiana state seminary to be located in Bloomington. That happened, and of course the seminary later became what we call Indiana University today. One of the more unique moments of the surrounding events of the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred in a cemetery. And you say, well, yeah, the resurrection. That's not the, that's not the cemetery I'm talking about. Let me read to you out of Matthew this verse that, that tells us of a unique event. Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 through 53. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, part of the problem with that is it sounds like the tombs were broken open during the crucifixion, and they waited around three days before they went into the city. I like this reading from Mark Moore's translation even better. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and having come out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city. At the time of the crucifixion of Christ, the tombs broke open, but with the resurrection of Christ, these saints were raised from the dead and walked into the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'm just overwhelmed by that. What gets me is that that is a phenomenal piece of news. People who had died years before came back to life and walked through the streets of Jerusalem. What really gets me is the fact that Matthew is the only one of the Gospels that, that records anything about this. Mark, Luke, and John simply omit it. Matthew devotes a verse to it, one verse. And the reason is, it wasn't the big news. The big news was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ had raised from the dead, we now have the hope of everlasting life, and so did the people who lived in Jerusalem at that day and time. It wasn't about Aunt Naomi who'd come back from the grave, even though that would be pretty interesting and fascinating. It was about Jesus who had come back from the grave. Nevertheless, at his resurrection, these other saints opened up the graves in the cemetery and they walked into the city of Jerusalem and visited with family, friends, and were seen alive. Now, we don't know what happened. Did they go back to the cemetery that evening? Did they live for a while? Were they here for the 40 days that Jesus was on the earth after his resurrection? We don't know. Matthew doesn't give us any more details. We have no other information, but it is a testimony to the great power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Cemeteries are a constant reminder that this is a broken world 
filled with pain and misery and sorrow. That death is inevitable. But Jesus' resurrection proves that he is greater than our pain, misery, and our sorrow. He's even greater than the power of death. Death only affects the body. It does not affect the spirit. When the body dies and is buried, the spirit goes home to be with the Lord. At least that's what Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And death is only temporary. It is not our final state. That's really the good news. And I think that's exactly why when Jesus was resurrected, the tombs of several saints that lived in the area were also opened. It was a, it was a glimpse. It was a picture of what is yet to come for all of us that someday this cemetery will give forth to brand new life. Sometimes when we come to a cemetery, somebody will make reference to the fact that this is our final resting place. Don't you believe it? This is not our final resting place. This is just a temporary place where the body, well, returns to the elements of the, of the earth. But someday, at the coming of Christ, all of this will change. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I have to wonder if Paul was thinking about this very moment surrounding the resurrection of Christ when he wrote it. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then Paul goes on to write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Dead what? Has to be the dead bodies. The spirit isn't dead. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The day will come one of these days when Jesus returns. These stones, what we call headstones, are tombstones, mausoleums, burial places. They'll all crumble. And the caskets and the tombs and the crypts and everything will give forth that which has been buried there for all of history. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That day, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the tombs around Jerusalem opened up and the dead came back into the city to be a reminder to people that the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection makes all the difference in the world. That would have been an exciting thing to see. Wish we had more information about it. But what we do know is, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. That's one of those unique surrounding moments of this glorious story that we celebrate out, uh, throughout history and especially as we celebrate it through this month of March. I'm reminded of the story of David Peterson who is a minister out in Spokane, Washington several years ago when his little girl, one day he was in his study preparing his sermon and uh, she came to the door and she said, Daddy, can we play? And he said, well, not right now, sweetheart. Uh, he said, I'm working and studying. He said, but in about an hour or two, he said, I'll be done and then we can play. And she said, okay, but when, you, when you're done, I'm gonna give you a real big hug. And she started to walk out of the room and 
Then she turned around, came running back, jumped into his lap and gave him one of those bone-breaking chiropractic kind of hugs that kids can do. And he said, I thought you were going to give me a hug after I finished. She said, I am. I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. <laughs> Here in the cemetery, I just want you to know what you have to look forward to. When you come to visit the grave of somebody that you loved, remember, this is not a final resting place. And what happened in Jerusalem at the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves once and for all the best is still yet to be. This is not our home. We may lie here for a period of time, but the best is still yet to come. And when Jesus comes again, all of this will be gone once and for all forever. That's great news. Have you ever thought about the very moment that Jesus died and all of the things that happened? Today what I want to address is what happened with the curtain in the temple that was tore from top to bottom. In Matthew 27, it reads this, Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. It says that Jesus gave up his spirit, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. In 1939, many movie experts say it was the greatest year in movie-making history. That same year, there were two epic movies. The first one, of course, was the classic Gone with the Wind. The second one was uh, Wizard of Oz. Now, the Wizard of Oz, interestingly enough, uh, didn't generate much money at the box office. It, it barely broke even. But when it reached TV screens, it actually, I believe, became the most influential movie of all time. I mean, think of all those characters that are unforgettable. Dorothy, Toto, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion. Who would ever forget the Flying Monkeys? And how about the Wicked Witch of the West? Uh, side note, did you know that in real life she actually uh, was a kindergarten teacher? Uh, I think I had her. And then they went on this mystical journey on the Yellow Brick Road. They went to the Land of Oz. There was this remarkable castle. They got into the castle. And if you remember, they found a way to look behind the curtain. And when they got behind the curtain, they found a man who was manipulating the entire thing. From that point forward, whenever you hear the phrase behind the curtain, it's always a negative phrase. If you look behind the curtain, you'll find that in reality, we're going to be disappointed, but not this curtain. The moment that Jesus died and that curtain was tore from top to bottom, everything changed. Physically, I want you to think about for just a moment that curtain. That curtain was four to six inches woven like a tapestry. You weren't going to tear that curtain. If you look behind me, you'll see a, a standard curtain. This is in the Fellowship Hall. Many of you have been to IU Auditorium, and you've seen the curtain there. But that doesn't even compare to the curtain that was in the temple. That curtain meant so much to the Jewish nation. Because, you see, only the high priest could go behind that curtain. Only the high priest could go representing their nation and their people, could go to the Holy of Holy behind that curtain. But when that curtain was split in two, do you know what that meant for you and me? What it meant was we have complete access to God. In Ephesians 2.17, I love this, it says that he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, that through him, now this is Jesus, both have access to the Father through the Spirit. Total access to God. 
Can you imagine what that even means? Now, just for a second, imagine that you and your best friend are given two free tickets to your favorite band or your favorite musician. Maybe your, your favorite band is the Rolling Stones. Maybe it's U2. Uh, maybe it's Bruce Springsteen, One Direction. Or for some of you, it may be Garth Brooks. Why it would be Garth Brooks, I have no idea. But let's say you go to this concert, but it's, it's tickets in the nosebleed section. And you're sitting there, you can't wait for the concert to begin. And just moments before, uh, security walks up and says, hey, the band uh, has given me two special tickets. These tickets are backstage passes. You now have a complete all-access opportunity to not only take the concert in, but they would like to hang out with you for at least an hour of uninterrupted time after the concert. Now, you know what that would be? That would be a day you would never forget. That would be an amazing day. All access. Through Jesus Christ, when that curtain was torn in two, we have all access to God. Jesus Christ is now our high priest. We don't need to go to another human that will represent us. All we have to do is lean on Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.9, there are some <coughs> excuse me, amazing words to me that tells us what happens with this whole relationship of Jesus being our mediator and our high priest. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. We are, first of all, a chosen people. That means when we surrender to Jesus Christ, when we are a follower of Jesus Christ, in essence, we're on his team. There is no more rejection in this life. We are a royal priesthood. Think about what that means, a royal priesthood, where we used to have to go to an individual who would then represent us before God. Now, through the name of Jesus Christ, we can go to God. And then I love this. It says we are called out of darkness. Now you think about when Jesus died, it was the darkest day in human history. It was by far the darkest day. But through Jesus Christ, out of that darkness, the curtain is tore, and now the floodgates have been opened to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Man, what a day that was. What an amazing day. When Jesus died and the curtain in the temple was tore for all of us. What does that mean? Well, in conclusion, here's what it means. Hebrews 4.16 says that we can boldly and we can confidently approach the throne of God. Everybody here today, you can approach the throne of God with confidence through Jesus Christ. Man, that's the best day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we surrender everything to you because you've surrendered everything for us. And Lord, the moment you died, everything changed. And Lord, the most important thing is you gave everybody who will follow you an all-access pass to the throne of God. Thank you for giving us everything. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, it records two earthquakes that occur, one at Jesus' crucifixion and the other just days later at the resurrection. Now, when it comes to natural disasters, I've lived a relatively privileged life. I mostly refer to earthquakes or disasters in regards to the state of my son's bedrooms. 
It's their own little active rebellion against organization and order. But when Matthew is recording these events around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he was calling his audience to this most significant moment in the history between God and humanity since creation. The other day, I stumbled across this ancient relic. Uh, you may not know what this is, some of you in the audience, but this is a VHS tape. It's from 1998, and it's the sole recording of my wedding. Now, when I threw it in a VCR, to watch it, I had to rewind it, which was an adventure in and of itself. Kids, ask your parents. But finally, when I got it rewound, I observed this moment from almost 20 years ago in my life, where I looked my wife in the eyes and I said my vows to her. I noticed how shaky my voice was and I remembered how intense it was experiencing all of the emotions that came at that moment where everything for me was about to change. It's not because I didn't know what to say or what to do, I think the weight of it was the promises that I was making. I mean, where else in life do we stand face to face with another human being and essentially say, whatever individual desires or plans that I have for my life are changing. I'm fully committing myself to you until we are parted by death. I'm joining you in this process of yielding to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul called this mutual submission. And it's the magnitude of those promises and that commitment that left me shaking on that day. From that day forward, my relationship with my wife would be forever changed as we joined our lives together as one. And on the other side of that event, my life would never be the same. Nowadays, I get to officiate a lot of weddings and it constantly fascinates me to see the faces and the impact that those promises have to, on the people who are articulating them as they stand across and look at the eyes of the other person that they are about to commit the rest of their lives to. For me, in watching that moment that I had standing there looking at Gail, I made promises that I knew were a new kind of relationship that was gonna change my life forever, and my voice and my hands were shaking. Now, these accounts that we read in the Gospels of Matthew is come at a point in human history where God's relationship with his creation was about to be forever changed. Matthew doesn't tell us the significance specifically of these earthquakes, so I'm firmly in the realm of speculation here. But when we look at the narrative of the Bible, the union of heaven and earth is the story that the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united, but then through sin, they were driven apart. And God's response to the problem of sin and evil is to begin a restoration project in which he is bringing heaven and earth back together again. This becomes central to the teachings of Jesus. And as he proclaims that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand, he's referring to this restoration movement that God is making with his creation. And Matthew, as he records the shaking of the earth or the violent earthquake, it's on the cross where all of the weight of the world's sin, all of our brokenness and injustice, all of it at once converges on Jesus, God's son, the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for. He dealt with the disconnect between God and his creation, and he became the atoning sacrifice for all people for all time. And in this moment, Matthew said, the earth shook. Matthew's gospel then says at the resurrection that there was a great earthquake, a violent earthquake, where the first account signified God dealing with the problem of sin in this new final and permanent way through Jesus' death on the cross. 
we know that the resurrection is an inauguration of something new. God, through Jesus, is establishing a new kingdom in this world with a new kind of king. These references to the earth shaking in Matthew both stand at a moment in history where God was establishing a new covenant, a new promise with his creation. On the other side of this event, things would never be the same. We are invited to participate in God's restoration project in this world. By considering what it means to die to ourselves, we join in the kingdom kind of life that's found in Jesus. It's in this new life, in putting on display the way of Jesus in our own individual lives that you and I can experience the abundant kind of life or life to the fullest that Jesus came to offer.